welcome to a special, slightly weird, episode of the Talent Intelligence Collective podcast. Normally I, Alan Walker, am the host of the show alongside Toby Coulshaw and Alison Etheridge. But this time, the tables were turned and I was put in the hot seat as the guest for episode 26. I'll be honest, I was quite nervous to be on the other side of the microphone, but luckily my brain managed to kick into gear once we got chatting. In this version of the show, Toby and Alison asked me all about my work at Udder, the trends I'm seeing in AI and talent, and what the future looks like for generative AI and automation technology. We got into some really interesting discussions around leveraging AI for talent acquisition, the risks of AI hallucinating, and the potential for multi-agent AI architectures. It was fascinating and fun to geek out about all things AI and talent. So get comfy, get listening, get learning, and stay intelligent, folks. And I hope you'll enjoy hearing my perspective from the guest seat this time around. Before we get on with the main event, I just wanted to remind you that this podcast is proudly sponsored by our friends at Stratagens. And here's a very well-spoken chat to tell you a little bit more about them. Stratagens gives HR leaders the data they need to transform businesses with the speed and ease required in today's world. If you're ready to make decisions that aren't lengthy, costly, one-dimensional, or based on gut feeling, visit stratagens.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-I-G-E-N-S.com to register for a Wednesday demo drop-in and find out more. Hello, I'm Alan Walker, and welcome to episode 26 of the Talent Perspective Podcast. Yay! I'm joined on the show by my co-host Toby Coulshaw of Amazon and Alison Etheridge of Strategy. Say hello, guys. Hello, guys. And of course, as always, we have a guest with us today. And today it's a really special episode 26. I actually can't believe it's taken us 26 episodes to get to this stage because our guest today is Alan Walker of Udder. Alan extraordinaire, please can you introduce yourself? Uh, more formally to our guests and also talk more about some of the work that Udder does. Okay, sure. So I'm Alan Walker. I'm one of the co-founders of Udder, um, alongside my erstwhile business partner, Jeremy Russell, just to give him a quick shout out. We wouldn't be here today without him. Um, Jeremy. Uh, Udder is a HR technology consulting business. So in a nutshell, we help HR leaders to leverage and get the very best out of HR technology to supercharge and augment their teams and their human capability. Fab. That's really good. And and actually, what our listeners will, will hear as they're going through this podcast particularly is lots of the work that you're doing in terms of helping organisations with their tech stacks and understanding the world of AI. Um, But let's start off with our normal format. Um, So, Toby, have you got some news for us this week? I have indeed. Um, In keeping with the theme, I've tried to keep it around kind of the generative AI and that sort of topic. Um, First thing I noticed this week was a a big report by the UK's National Cyber Security Centre, so the uh, NCSC. Um, and they, they've done a whole report on the growing risk of chatbots and how they're being manipulated by hackers um, through prompt engineering, prompt injection attacks um, to essentially crack into companies and uh, get loads of information that they shouldn't be getting. And it's essentially in the same way we saw kind of with ChatGPT and people playing around with prompt engineering to uh, break ChatGPT and get it to break its own rules. We're seeing that with the chatbot piece. And um, yeah, it's already started. We're seeing these prompt injection attacks occurring. And yeah, the the NCSC are seeing it as a a big issue to keep aware of. 
Love that. And that's going to um, lead to then kind of a rise in more cybersecurity and more risk averse. Um, I wonder whether or not that's going to stop, whether that's going to stop progress or whether or not actually it's just going to prompt progress in the security people rather than anything else. Yeah, I reckon it's just a kind of early teething problem to a certain degree. Um, The chat GPT, when it came out in December, suddenly made it very, very easy for everybody to play around with this stuff and to build chatbots and to even code stuff from the ground up. And in doing that, you probably had a bunch of relatively unrobust things that were suddenly released on the market that perhaps weren't properly properly engineered to protect themselves against these um, kind of injection tasks, um, injection attacks, etc., and things like that. Um, I think with well engineered solutions, it's pretty. I wouldn't say it's easy to stop, but it's definitely possible to stop um, with the right things in place. So I, I think we'll find that there's there's a, a spike in attacks because there's stuff that's out there that's ropey as hell in terms of how it's built. But eventually we'll catch up and um, and the better engineered stuff will take over. So we should, I reckon we'll be fine in the long term. Cool. That's all right then. And, and I think that kind of ties in for me for the second point that was, I was going to raise, which is around um, uh, Josh Burton wrote a, a paper on the role of generative AI in HR and how it's becoming clear and things are streamlining out, etc. But um, I, I often do wonder whether as HR, we're strong enough yet on, on whether it's data ethics, data engineering, just our data maturity to be able to to really roll this stuff out in a, in a really clean way effectively, or whether, to your point, Alan, we're going to see a whole raft of like rolling stuff out. It's a bit scrappy. It's a bit messy. We see a few fines happening here or there, or, or we see a few court cases, et cetera. And then it starts tightening up and we get a bit more professional with it. I think that this bit for me was really interesting because it was the bit that you highlighted, Toby, was the average large company has more than 80 employee facing systems and each one stores large volumes of data. Right. And I looked at that and just thought there's absolutely no way if that's the average amount of employee facing systems that they're all going to have the same categorizations of data about employees for that data to be clean in any way, shape or form at the moment. No, I think you're right there. But I guess the, the the power of AI to a certain degree is that, that that's less of a problem than it would have been when humans were trying to manipulate that data and understand it. Because you can you can say this you can teach it to a certain degree the differences and get it to help get it to understand them and then manipulate itself. But it's um it's quite scary. The eighty systems itself is quite scary. <laughs> so people are having to having to navigate those amount of systems just to do their day jobs some of these some people or just to be an employee never mind to do their day jobs um it's just crazy it isn't a wonder that people say well yeah no, nobody's filled it in or nobody's self-id'd or nobody it's like well that's because i'd spend my entire career doing nothing but filling in your systems mm. <laughs> and i guess that i guess also as well as the obviously the obvious advantage of ai in that situation is that it can it can in theory handle that amount of data and that amount of resources to start to draw insight from it and mm. and support decision making etc but on the employee experience side as well in theory you could have a you can have a chatbot sitting above all of those systems and engaging with and interacting with those systems on behalf of the employee and the yep. employee doesn't have to touch them it doesn't even know they exist to a certain degree and the chatbot can handle that for them yeah i love that I think that's the, the what I'm seeing. The vast majority of the sort of 
the generative AI um, use cases. For, for me, the vast majority is essentially just robotic process administration, mm. but it's done with a really nice skin on the front that made, makes it intuitive and it makes it a nice user interface. But a, a lot of it still feels at that RPA operational efficiency type, type stage. I agree, absolutely. Yeah, completely agree. Um, so Joby, that, you, you then highlighted some people who'd got real talent shortages in this space. Yeah, so unsurprisingly, uh, we're, we're seeing a big uptick in the number of jobs out there for generative AI, um, prompt engineering. We see, we we'll obviously see all the uh, amazing highlights in the newsreels around prompt engineers getting offered ridiculous amounts of money, etc. Um, but there's a number of the the big tech companies are, are really jumping on this space and, and struggling. So um, various articles with Deloitte unveiling a new AI incubator um, in India to try and drum up some some more talent in this space. Um, McKinsey wrote a whole paper on AI innovation has been constrained by a talent shortage. Unsurprisingly, Apple, Hinge, Meta, NVIDIA, all looking for this sort of talent. Um, and I saw some interesting articles on the, the games development world and how they're really weighing, on, weighing in on this whole generative AI piece. Obviously, a huge amount of uh, games development is uh, can be all augmented. I wouldn't say automated, yeah. but augmented at the moment. So, um, yeah, it's fascinating to see how they're all... They're all ramping up and they're all struggling to, to find the talent they need in the space. Well, NVIDIA have got the kind of double whammy. Not only if they will have their own plans around generative AI and how they want to use it as an organization, as a business, but also NVIDIA graphics cards are powering the vast majority of the big generative AI models as well. And anybody who's investing in a more building their own models, it's NVIDIA GPUs that are actually the engine room behind the scenes that's doing all the heavy lifting in terms of the processing and the calculating there. I don't know if you saw, NVIDIA's share price has gone absolutely through the roof over the last nine months or so since ChatGPT was released and every other organisation started building their own versions of ChatGPT. It's insane. I, do, I think they're an awesome organisation, right? But it, you know, they've, their, their whole story is really interesting anyway for the, from the CEO perspective. Um, but also, yeah, they're going to be going through their own challenges. The growth, the rate at which they have had to grow... Mm means that you know, they're going to have to be scaling, they're going to have to be hiring, they're going to have to be actually kind of you know, putting in place the processes that a company of their size now needs to have. Um, yeah, they've got a talent intelligence team. Um, yeah, it's just it feels like, wow, you, know, you grow at that rate, you, you suffer your own challenges, right, internally, never mind all the really exciting stuff that you're doing. And Toby, you'd pointed out that Tata had partnered with them to build you know, large-scale AI infrastructure as well. I did indeed. <laughs> there isn't much more on that one. The, the, the title sums up most of the, the article on that one. Um, yeah, I'll do some seriously cool stuff. The games development bit excites me. I'm a gamer. Um, I'd still, I know I'm 46 nearly. I probably should have stopped by now, but I can't for whatever reason. It's, it's an addiction of mine. I really enjoy it. But it excites me about what they'll be able to do with computer games in the future. And not just using generative AI to augment the building of them and the development of them, but actually using generative AI in games to kind of bring characters to life. And you know, once the latency and the lag between a prompt and a response goes down to milliseconds, you could have generative AI-powered characters within the game, uh, not just speaking to the, the actual player of the game, but also then acting as, as, as proper AI characters rather than just very well-programmed um, characters that have got an algorithm behind them. It's really exciting. 
Is is that so? I'm about to sound like a luddite. Is that just bringing the imaginary friend of a childhood to life in a game? To a certain degree, yeah, absolutely. I think so. Um, a lot of the games that because I'm getting old now, I can't play the high intensity games where you run around shooting people anymore because I'm just really <laughs> slow and I get I get embarrassed by seven year olds and I don't want that in my life. So I typically play the slower pace kind of role playing games where you're a, you're a character in a certain world, be it space or fantasy or whatever it might be and moving on at a plodding pace but in there you have thousands of what they call npcs non-player characters that you can interact with and chat to and talk to but all of it's in essence scripted and programmed behind the scenes so they'll only have so much variance of what they say but with generative ai in theory they could be completely unscripted and just given a personality and if they can remember the previous conversations that can go on ad infinitum and, and I get for me for me it almost becomes uh, if you go back to like our, our childhood you had those books with at the end of it it was uh, choose your own adventure yeah and and you'd make whichever decision at a given point and it would it would change the, the outcome of the book and I I see that as the potential with the NPCs with generative AI in the background suddenly you can choose your own adventure and then how your adventure unfolds can interact with somebody else's adventure and how that unfolds and suddenly you've got this kind of limitless gameplay of from the game development perspective, you set the parameters and the, say the, uh, maybe the tone of voice or tone of character, et cetera. But what Absolutely. occurs then really opens up to people's imagination. Yeah. Very crazy. What, what else are we seeing companies doing, Toby? Um, the one that, that that's, uh, you know, I don't normally like to comment about specific companies and, and the dramas within, because uh, I don't think it's very fair, but um, this one has been highly, uh, highly written about and publicized and i think it, it really probably is being mirrored and echoed across many companies um was inside meta and meta has having an ai drama in inverted commas um, an internal feud over the compute power and this comes back to nvidia and the compute power and how uh power intensive and, and computationally intensive building out these these generative ai and, and language models etc are um and apparently there's a bit of a, an internal feud going on within meta's ai teams as to who can actually have the compute power to, to build this stuff out and to test it and to, to run it. Um, and I would imagine that's being mirrored across across other organizations with multiple teams in that way as well, because, uh, yeah, it's, it's not an infinite resource. You, you, you might not see it on the front end necessarily, but there, there is a finite computing power to, to drive a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that's absolutely true. And in fact, there was a, um, an article yesterday, wasn't it, about Bristol that's um, just won a contract for um, creating a new supercomputer that can drive processing speeds for um, for AI and just because of the complete compute power that is needed, just full stop, and that's on a small scale. But if, if cities are having to do it, right, and universities are having to do it, then that's going to be happening in organisations across the country, across the, the, the globe. Um, and how hungry is this? I guess there's any question, which is, you know, what impact does that have on other things around sustainability? If we're using that, well, yeah, I, I was going to say that my wife, my wife works in sustainability, and I, I kind of have to, I kind of get very excited about AI around her, and then um, her, she's almost a conscience on my shoulder, whispering, "What about the environment, Alan?" And I'm like, "Oh, geez, <laughs> it's yeah. true. It's massive, massive impact." Um, we had it with we had it with the whole crypto mining yeah, and mining yeah. bitcoins etc and people running just PCs at home full of like 
72 hours straight to mine 30 quid's worth of cryptocurrency um, yeah. and then using 29 pounds worth of electricity in, the, in it and burning up God knows what in fossil fuels just to achieve that quid that they managed to mine. Um, what, how this is impacting it, God knows. But it's the same for everything, isn't it? You know, electric cars, you know, or, or you know, anything that's got a battery that's being mined. You know, mm. so, you know, it's kind of it's an important factor, right? But it, but I think it's also one of those things that's going to be a learning curve um, over the next generation or so. Um, I think it's also a bit of a nimby, isn't it? It's not in my backyard. Like pe- people are quite happy to to play with this tooling and, and use these resources because it's not an obvious thing. It's it's not. Yeah. You know, you can't see the coal-fired power station down the road from you. It, a lot of it is the, the the batteries and the lithium being mined out of Africa and strip mining there and causing revolutions and um, the civil war. It, it's it's all, you know a lot of the power base, a lot of the, the kind of the byproduct of this. You you don't feel as a, as a consumer, and maybe maybe it should be accountable. Maybe you should have a look. This is what you're doing. Uh, do mm. do you consent sort of thing? Uh, I think it's. It's remarkable how much compute power we're using to, you know, write bedtime stories for the kids using ChatGPT or whatever it may be. We're quite frivolous with it. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's you know, consumerism has taken us to where we are today with oil and and, and all the other resources that we've burned through and completely screwed up the environment with. Uh, I guess I'd, I'd hope that maybe consumerism of things like this won't be quite so impactful. At the same time, we can reduce the reliance on other resources maybe by increasing our reliance on on this stuff but yeah a bit early to say isn't it yeah completely um thanks for that toby good news session concise very Thank around you. the topic love it <laughs> thank you very much it's all right um but more importantly and yeah the the real reason that we wanted to do this yeah. podcast and i think it'll feel a bit different as it's going to i think feel more conversational was that we were conscious alan that y- you were the brilliant host and voice of the podcast and that you actually secretly do a lot for the TI community. Uh, And you've just got this wealth of knowledge um, that's in your brain that we use all the time (laughs) Um, for free, but then we don't ever let our listeners understand it. So thank you for agreeing to be a guest. You're welcome. So, I'm, the podcast list won't see this, but I'm blushing. Oh. <laughs> um, it's true. So, yeah, take the compliment. I, I think um, I want to start with a really basic question, actually, which wasn't on any of the things that you said that you'd be comfortable talking about. Um, <laughs> so, but it's all right. It'll. I think it'll be fine. Uh, so we talk a lot about AI, and I think there's a lot of blurb about it. Um, can you Can you help everybody who's listening to this whether they're in this field or not understand the kind of difference between machine learning that is just doing some process stuff ai large language models almost kind of an idiot's guide to what is this stuff wow yeah that's a big that's a big question in its own right and um and i and, and just for the record i i don't class myself um as a as an expert with a big e in ai in the kind of broader piece 
Certainly not. I think I, where, where, where my expertise best sits is the application of, yes. of AI in our world, in our world of talent, in our world of HR, etc. Yes. Um, I'm not a data scientist. I'm not an AI um, expert. I have no qualifications in this space at all. No, uh, and my, if you were, I would have no yeah. qualifications to ask you questions. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of, in terms of, and actually, what what that actually throws up is a is a bigger question. Just the general, what is AI question keeps coming up all the time mm-hmm. um a while back not all that long ago the the ai we're talking about now um things like chat gpt etc um people might not have even determined it as ai there used to be a very um a, a very anal definition of ai the whole turing test and everything around that of what exactly is ai is it able to unilaterally make decisions on its own right etc and and improve that decision making over time and yada 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 i think to a certain degree all of that needs throwing out the window because it doesn't matter what the technical technical definition of ai is it's what the perception of ai is Yes. So if there is something, if there is an autonomous machine device program that feels like it is behaving intelligently and it seems to be taking action on its own right or it's creating content um, in its own right or it's making decisions or driving decisions in its own right, in my mind, to a certain degree, that's it's enough from a definition of an AI perspective. Now, some of that truly is built with super, super smart technology behind the scenes, things like machine learning and natural language processing, et cetera. Some of it actually is just very, very, very well programmed, but built in relatively traditional ways, just with so many variables built into it behind the scenes that, that it gives, again, gives the perception to the person at the other end of the who's receiving it of something intelligent. So it's uh, it's a, it's a really hard to kind of pinpoint exactly what what AI is. Um, obviously, ChatGPT, um, kind of narrowing down on that, which is it's in essence a, a leap forward in natural language processing. We've seen that's been around for a while now, and we've mm-hmm. certainly seen the term and heard the term natural language processing for years. Years, I feel. But ChatGPT has just leapt us forward and other large language models. But I'm going to use ChatGPT primarily through the next half an hour or so as a proxy for, for large language models and, mm-hmm. and generative AI generally. Um, it, it's so smart because it gives the perception of understanding context. Um, some will actually, again, still question whether it does genuinely understand, but it gives the perception of understanding context. It gives the perception of having a coherent conversation with the user, uh, the recipient, and it can it can generate what feels like remarkably human like text um, on about any, just literally about any topic and just yeah. about anything, and it can do that based on its own learning, which is you know, trillions and trillions of data points, pretty much. It's consumed the vast majority of the internet um, over the um, two or three years before it was launched properly, as it launched into the wild in December 2022. Uh, but it can also, I think, more. I think more importantly, actually, for our use cases as as TA and HR and TI professionals, it can also consume information that you provide it. So it's not just restricted by what's available, what it already knows. You can you can teach it, you can help it learn can provide it with more context you can help it flesh it out you can give it access to systems in theory and access to other data points and and it can learn from that it can respond to that and it can can answer on that is that what makes it so groundbreaking is the fact that it's it 
it can learn from data that you feed it. I think that's what makes it groundbreaking for the layperson, okay. because suddenly this suddenly you've got this massively accessible tool um, that literally anyone can play with, um, which hasn't always been the case with a lot of the AI tools that are out there. You know, OpenAI, it's 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 ChatGPT is powered by their GPT three point five and four model. So just you know, by the very the version numbers there tell yeah. you that it's been around for a while but it's not until that version 3.5 came out that people were really able to play with it and play with it at pace actually the very first version was three but 3.5 came out within a month or so of um, yeah. three coming out um and i think it's just that that accessibility to a certain degree that's that's the game changer for me it's okay. just everyone is starting to understand well, what scratching the surface absolutely for the majority but scratching the surface they're starting to see the kind of art of the possible and that's what's springing up ideas and innovation around how people can use these tools. And so then how are you seeing AI in in recruitment and talent acquisition kind of overall? Yeah, I think, yeah, again, AI has been a while in, around for a while now, hasn't it? We've um, certainly, you'll know, Alison, that um, a lot of HR technology vendors know that adding a, an extra bullet point on their feature set that says, this is powered by AI, suddenly helps from a marketing perspective. Yep. Even if, again, if you get under the hood of those tools, um, a lot of them aren't really AI. They were never really AI. They were well-programmed tools that had a ton of variables behind the scenes that were able to act as if it's AI, but they're not, re- not we're really AI. Um, now we're seeing people bring in um, ChatGPT into their skill set or other large language models. They can genuinely say they've got AI working and and, prov- and providing additional additional features to their, their their platforms. And I think we're seeing, I think we're seeing really that how they're able to really drive massive efficiencies across certain elements of TA. Things like automating, you know, the screening of resumes. Um, matching matching a CV to a job description, writing job descriptions, writing adverts, writing content, etc. Um, more practically, doing things like scheduling interviews and conducting video interviews, even through an AI kind of avatar type thing. Um, helping recruiters with like super targeted outreach to candidates as well. That's kind of tailored to the individual that you're reaching out to, rather than a generic. You know, we've all had those horrible emails and mail mergers, haven't we, before, where it says, dear, first name, and then it's like a, a random bit of text that makes no sense whatsoever. But if they send a million of them out, hopefully 10 people will be uh, will get hit by that, that kind of scattergun approach. But there's nothing now to stop you writing a million emails still, but each one of those million emails being tailored to the individual that you're sending it to. So it's things like that from a TA perspective that are, that are making a massive difference. But I think, Connor, think... sorry, go on. I was just going to say on, on that piece, do you think, how do you think that's going to have an impact if we're doing those million emails, for example? Mm. Um, I, I kind of speculate whether that's just going to end up with, I, I think we, we tend to the, to the worst. That's where my brain goes. Yeah, yeah. And, and I wonder whether that's going to tend towards uh, a huge amount of increase in the number of outreaches to candidates, the sort of outreach tending towards the average, because most you know, generative AI statistically is like predictive text on steroids. It's, it goes through the statistical, what's the most likely next word sort of thing. So yeah. all of the messaging is going to tend to the norm. 
and we're just going to end up blasting candidates with average messaging and yeah, average yeah, comms. No, I think standing apart from that is going to get really, and that's clearing from the noise is going to get really hard. As, as you were talking, then I was thinking we're going to go back to the days of having to pick up the phone <laughs> yeah. in order to sound different to to an outreach. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure we will go. I don't think everyone will go back to that. I think those that those that stand out, those exceptional recruiters, um, will be able to stand up by doing those things. I think although the noise will increase, Toby, you're right. Absolutely. I think the noise was already pretty high anyway, but yeah. the quality of that noise before was terrible. Now, now in theory, the bar the bar should have lift, been lifted. So the bottom, the bottom, so to speak, will have been raised up. So yeah. there'll be still lots of noise, but at least it will be hopefully more accurate and more targeted for the individual. So instead of me getting 30 emails a day asking whether I want to work in McDonald's, I might get... Te- 30 emails a day that are actually specific to the role that I want to work in. I'd be more targeted, still noise to a certain degree, but it'll hopefully be much more targeted and, and relevant to me. But I think still, you know, noise has always been a problem, I think, in yeah, recruitment. Uh, the best people will stand out and they'll find a way of standing out. Yeah, very true. What about if you point it, um, all of that is about um, hiring and the kind of external world. What happens if companies are looking at how they point this at their internal world and they're looking at, um, internal mobility or they're looking at l and d or career growth or reskilling internally i think that's huge. i think it's huge i think um you know i had i had this vision in my mind of almost um almost a generative ai slash lm powered um career assistant for internal people helping them understand what their career path might look like in an organization what skills are are similar to theirs or adjacent to theirs that they can probably repurpose and re re retrain on if they need to, helping them understand and visualize their kind of lateral moves within an organization. Because the one thing that that generative AI and large language models are really good at is um, is that genuinely understanding things to a certain degree and and actually being able to translate that and understand things that are similar to it as well. Rather than because old AI was often very technically very geared towards keyword matching and similar type things, and if things weren't a direct like for like match, struggled with it. But yep. more advanced AI, even before generative AI, kind of stuff coming out for the last couple of years or so, and machine learning power models is much better at that whole semantic search and being able to um, look at similarities and help people understand those similarities and how they might be able to move within an organization rather than job hopping elsewhere so do you think that's going to unlock for individuals deeper insights but also for organizations deeper workforce insight it should do shouldn't it it should be a two-way thing if you're helping an individual understand their potential career paths within an organization and how they they personally can take some responsibility for that in terms of pointing it in the right direction and making the right decisions in theory, the reverse of that and the flip side of it, it should help organisations to also understand the people they have in their organisation and their skills and how they can align to their kind of future strategy. Okay. Um, can we bring it into the world of talent intelligence for a minute um, and and talk about AI in, in our space, right, in, in the labour market space? How specifically do you think companies can leverage AI powered TI, God, there's too many eyes in here, <laughs> for 
competitive intelligence. Yeah, this is um, this is it, it's interesting me talking about this because although I spent I spent the last twenty five episodes listening to a bunch of really smart people talk about talent intelligence, and by proxy, I've soaked up a, a fair chunk of that. I still, by no means, class myself as as an expert in that space. But I I think the you know the ability to use um, large language models to to connect to data and help map out what's happening in the wider world in the labor market whether that's things like whether it's the labor market and the the kind of the big wide view or even more specifically narrowing down to how a competitor might have their organizational makeup um looking at things like concentrations of talent particular areas kind of skills gaps etc and doing things like kind of network analytics to look at how people are talent flowing between competitors. Some of that stuff that again we can do to a certain degree, but it's very time consuming and um, and, and and it's quite hard work. And you need often people with very very strong data skills to do it. I think um, large language models and even using things such as um, ChatGPT. DTPs, advanced data analytics tools, etc., can again make that much more accessible to the layperson. Yeah, yeah, really interesting. And I think it's, um, you know, as CEO of a software business in this space, I think one of our challenges is, you know, we we spent a lot of money developing these, as as have lots of labour market analytics tools, and it's saying, oh, hold on a minute, hold on, this is now accessible to somebody else. So what do we do over and above that makes yeah. it valuable? I think what you what you'll find is it it might it might even create a market for you because what you'll find is people will be able to at a very low basic level immediately suddenly find oh I can do this stuff yeah uh, but they'll still hit they'll still hit frustrations they'll still hit the challenges that you often have with um, large language models in cons- its consistency yes um, sometimes it has a habit to ha- of hallucinating so if there's a gap in any data. It, they can sometimes fill in those gaps themselves yes. to make them appear full and complete and that it knows what it's talking about. And anybody with a half a brain will hopefully spot that it's making those hallucinations, or if not, then we need to educate them that there is a risk of that. But what you'll find is that suddenly I think more people will be interested in the potential of the, of talent intelligence and, and labour market analytics, etc. And they'll be going, okay, I like this bit of scratching the surface stuff I've done with with ChatGPT or similar tools. Now I want to do it in a slightly more robust way with data that I know is accurate, with rigorous, yeah. etc. Using a tool that's built for it rather yes. than something that I've kind of jerry rigged myself. Yeah, it's interesting because I think without a doubt that yeah, you know, if I look at our internal makeup, yeah, you know, QA has become significantly more important to us as an organisation over the last. 12 months and that wasn't that it wasn't before it just has become much more serious so I guess that that then ties into and you've touched on some of the risk what do you think are some of the challenges that companies face if they want to implement AI driven talent intelligence I think the big the biggest one for me is that making sure that it's not hallucinating yeah um there's no there's no I guess there's no shortage of general data um but Good quality data is a is a different thing, of course. Yeah. Um, but actually, regardless of the data you're feeding to to the the AI powered tool, if if it's if it's if it's working in a way where it, it 
can do nothing but hallucinate because it has this burning desire to to please the recipient, which is to a certain degree how it operates. Yeah. Uh, it wants to provide an answer, even if it doesn't really have the data to provide it, it fills in the gaps. Then that for me is one of the biggest challenges. It's making sure that we we have got the the intelligence and the the data literacy ourselves to say, how could it have drawn that conclusion? Well, it didn't even have that data to draw that conclusion in the first place. Yeah. It's think, that kind of thing that I think we've got to be really, really careful about. I think that's one of the biggest risks. And I, I spoke about this at the HR Analytics Conference last week. Um, I think the biggest risks in HR at the moment, as we look towards kind of self-service and scaling of platforms, and whether it's through dashboards or whether it's through generative AI, um, data literacy within the user population it is a real risk or the lack thereof. Um because to, to your point, if people don't know that the system's hallucinating, if they don't know that that's, that data point just can't make sense or the context it's suggesting there just doesn't, it's not true, mm. they're not going it, to, it's the kind of the known unknowns and the unknown knowns and all that. Like they're not going to know that they don't know that. No. And, and I think that my fear is that a lot of people will use this sort of tooling to push out data analytics, people analytics, talent intelligence, talent acquisition analytics. To, to the masses really rapidly without really having that sense check and the balance check to say, well, actually, do, do they know to question this? Do they, or, or, or how is that mechanism even going to be in place? And that's, I think, probably what, for me, the biggest risk is I think that's it, so interesting. user. It's, it's yeah, like I, any tool, isn't it? If you, um, if, you put, if you put some highly powerful tools in the hands of a professional in using those tools, then they can create amazing things with them. If yeah. you put highly powerful tools in the hands of an amateur, they'll probably chop the hands off. Um, I'm so you're literally putting... just thinking of myself with a, with a uh, chainsaw, then. Yeah, yeah well, it's, that, it's that kind of thing, isn't it? You know, I, I, um, I during lockdown, I brought, a t- I built, bought a ton of woodworking tools, put them in the garage, set myself up with a little workshop. And then I played with the table saw, and after about five minutes, I was terrified of it, and I'm not going to get out again since. Because I'm just worried I'm going to chop something off. I really am genuinely terrified of this spinning blade, and I don't go near it again. Do you know what? I used to make things as my, uh, my, my, my calm. When I gave up playing rugby, I needed a new venture and an avenue, and I used to make things. And the reason being was for exactly that reason. You couldn't... You couldn't be thinking about other stuff while you were doing it because if you did, you'd lose a finger. So mm-hmm. um, it forced you. It was like my Zen place. My, my yoga was to focus. to really focus on the power tools because if not, I'm going to chop off an arm. So it's taken 36 minutes for us to go completely off piece, which I think was. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling quite well behaved, but if I, I just like zen you, well. I'm just yeah. going to zen you back in and bring the focus back in again momentarily um, to pick up on the conversation I had. It was really interesting. I had the first conversation with a client this week that has ever gone hold on a minute why are you telling us the percentage that you can't work it out on why don't you just make a lo- load of inferences and, and it was just, <laughs> and it was really interesting for me I was like well because you need to understand where we haven't been able to work it out right you can't mm. so that trying to fill in that trying to please bit you know they were kind of go well, well please me and I'm like well it's quite important that we don't actually. Yeah, you know, it was it was fascinating yeah. having the conversation. Um, but that's a great example, us, isn't it, about that that whole data literacy piece? Yeah, that actually, you know, if they don't 
know that they don't have a risk profile against their decision making. You know, if your data is really complete and what you're advising on them is you know, 95% there or thereabouts, then actually the risk around making a decision on that is is far lower than one that's 50% or 25% Absolutely. or 10%. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting because it was actually it was driven because I questioned them really hard, and it, and and they went back. It was driven by the fact that they have a US supply for this particular data, and then they use us for outside the US. Yeah, um, and they went back and checked with their US supply. Went, yeah, we 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 put a load of inferences in, in which is why you don't see an unknown from us. Yeah, so, interesting. Uh, you know, just it's it's so, and, and maybe we should do another kind of what the questions you should always ask in in this space. Can you um? Before we get into some exciting stuff that's future focused, because I really want to do that with you, um, can you give us probably two or three unnamed examples of some <laughs> of the work that Udder is doing? Yeah, so um, so there's a couple of things actually that that kind of spring to mind, um, but I'm going to talk about. I'm actually going to talk about one of them because it start. It's um, we've done some of the initial groundwork and discovery stuff, but the real project starts um, next week. So we're we're working with a, a major global organization. They're they're in excess of a quarter of a million people in size. By far our largest client, um, probably double our, our next largest client, in fact. So this is a big deal for Udder. It's a really exciting piece of work. They're they're looking at where generative AI, large language models can be used to, in essence, supercharge their whole talent acquisition process. And where possible, where possible, take control of the vast majority of it. They've got some real kind of high uh, level, kind of forward thinking stuff, and they know they're not going to achieve it overnight. It's going to be um, going to be a big piece of work, but they have an aspiration for where possible, with humans still in the mix and humans in the decision and making kind of some of the key decision points for AI to be powering ninety ninety five percent of their recruitment process, and they're looking at it kind of cradles of grave from everything from workforce planning through to through to onboarding and potentially even further into the HR process and looking at exit and everything along the way. Um, so that's a, a kind of major project and we're being brought in as consultants to to help them with the, the whole discovery piece. So the called journey mapping bit of what they're doing at the moment, helping them identify the opportunities for these improvements across the piece. But then, then the bigger piece of work that will come out of that is actually once they decide on their, their strategy and their direction of travel and where they want to go with it is as helping them build, build the machine, so to speak, and, um, and, and put that in place. One of the key things they want to do is to move towards a, a, ATS free recruitment process. So nobody has to touch an ATS. Nobody has to touch kind of those core core platforms that people are typically used to using behind the scenes to power a recruitment process. That's one of their major needs and desires. So hiring managers won't have to, recruiters won't have to, um, candidates won't have to, nobody in the process will have to go anywhere near an ATS. They'll still have one behind the scenes as a system of record. But to power the recruitment process, everything will be done through through um, conversational AI, generative AI, large language models, etc. So that's one really really exciting bit. I love On that. A, and then you said the need to not have an ATS system. Toby kind of either fell off his chair or threw something off the table. <laughs> I did. I did. I, I keep my thermos of coffee off the desk. I was in shock. I was like, "How how is that going to be audited? How are they going to track it? How does that work?" <laughs> It'll still be there. You just don't have. You won't have to use it. <laughs> so, with with, with the, the the envisioning envisioning 
would they see it being that you know a hiring manager would say i need it i've opened this wreck can you tell me the 10 silver medalists and that we've got and the the chatbot or whatever functionalities you're using will just well yeah ping here are the people here are their cvs if you're interested let me know i'll go away and arrange interviews for them or whatever yeah in essence yeah exactly Exactly that. So the, the chatbot will do all of the interaction or chatbot will, whatever whatever front-end um, framework they end up having, will do all of the interaction with the back-end systems behind the scenes. So um, isn't it interesting? One of the things, and I'll, I'll let you do another example in a minute, um, Alan, but one of the things that we, um, we talked about when we were discussing this very session is that this function, right, talent acquisition and recruitment, is a function that is really susceptible to going through massive change as a result of this tech, because there's still so much process that could be made more efficient. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So the other the other example, one that's really recent and has gone live very recently, is with a, a small UK bank that we've been working with, and they're they're they asked us to support them on their recruitment recruitment marketing attraction side. So this goes back to the point we were talking earlier about scattergunning millions of emails out to people and only a very small fraction of them even being the right target never mind receiving the right kind of message okay. they wanted to they wanted to reinvent how they how they approached the whole social posting piece but also how they approach all of their um, outreach and by email by linkedin messages and everything around that so we've been helping them build a build a model behind the scenes that um, helps them generate content for on three different levels so it helps them write social posts that are very very targeted it helps them write social adverts that are targeted to particular audience groups not individuals of course that would be a crazy amount of adverts but more importantly it helps them craft all of their outreach emails and messaging to to individuals but that's fairly becoming fairly common now there's a ton of solutions out there that help them do that the really the really interesting piece that we found um that that's working really well for them through the the early testing it's just launched is that we didn't just have the model or the the machine that that wrote all the messaging for them we we generated um, a model that almost acted as a persona of the candidate and a filter for that messaging before it was released so the way it works is the message is crafted by one half of the machine so to speak and then it's sent to a persona of that candidate for them to then review it and say, I like this message or I don't like it. And if it doesn't like it, it gets pushed back and ChatGPT writes a different message and then pushes it to the model again. If it goes, I like this one, then it gets released to the candidate. It's really cool. So there's almost a filter layer. And um, I know we're going to talk about the future and something um, I will be talking about is kind of multi-agent architectures. It's a very early adoption, an early version of that. You've actually got more than one AI in the mix and more than one agent in the mix that's actually helping power the machine. So, yeah, by proxy, you almost have a AI version of the candidate reviewing its content before it's released to the real candidate. That's so cool. And and let me um, understand this. So Udder is looking at how this can be achieved and what are the technologies that could help to make this happen and then bringing that all together into one solution. Yeah, we, um, we do the... A lot of our work, we split our work into doing and thinking and doing work. So the thinking is the kind of I, the um, the setting the vision, um, understanding what's achievable, the art of the possible for that particular organisation, with a very specific lens 
on them as an organisation. How innovative do they want to be? How much money have they got to spend? Do they want to be thought uh, leaders in this space or kind of followers and all that kind of thing? So it's helping them kind of set a strategy in terms of how they want to approach it. And then the doing work is actually helping them do it. So it's actually implementing implementing tech if it's stuff they've bought that's off the shelf and making sure it's adopted but it's actually helping them build stuff as well so if it's custom builds um, whether it's stuff that's built from scratch and coded from the ground up we've got we aren't we aren't developers ourselves but we have developers in our network that we pull in to do that kind of work or even just leveraging yeah, there's a ton of tools out there now, things like Zapier and middleware and other automation tools that can interact with ChatGPT and kind of superpower some really, really cool stuff without needing to be an engineer. So it, it depends, the implementation bit, how we do it. But, yeah, we absolutely do the building. It's not just the strategy and thinking stuff. Very cool. And and you've you've given two great examples there. So one with a, a kind of a, a UK specific focus in a smaller organization and one in a in a large global business. Um I'm making an assumption that sort of everything in between. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. We 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 used to be um we used to be when we first started the business, we used to be super hot and saying we're only ever going to work with small to medium sized businesses because they move really quick and they are able to make decisions quickly. And and to be frank, when me and Jeremy started the business, we needed to pay the bills. So we didn't yep. want long twelve month procurement processes to get tied up in. But as we've grown the organization out and we've become more mature, we've realized actually some of those larger businesses want to do really, really cool stuff. Yeah. And actually want to do it with smaller consultancies like us because they know that we will approach things uh, in a way that will 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 do something that's bespoke to them. We yes. won't try and pigeonhole them in the way that you know one of the bigger consultancies does and say, well, we've done this 10 times before, let's do it again for you with a slightly different colour on the PowerPoint deck. It's actually something that's bespoke to them and specifically built for them. And they like our agility and the ability to do that. I love that. You're a driver of innovation in this space um, for those organisations. I just think it's awesome. Um, can I start to point us towards the future? Because I'm conscious that, that that we're at 47 something minutes. Um, and, and frankly, I could keep going for a long time, but then I'll get in trouble. Well, I might not get in trouble because you're the guest. Yeah. I have no idea. I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> I'll keep you on um, track. You're not allowed. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's all right. Thank you. Um, so we, we've talked a bit about the kind of here and now. We've talked a little bit about what companies can do um, now. Can you – I just want a couple more questions on that. So mm. what analytics does AI enable to act on talent insights that an organisation can get? Does that make sense? Uh, how much – yeah, it does. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think um, AI, is, AI is very, very good at doing kind of causal statistical analysis. Yeah. Um, without a doubt, it can do that. I, again, I'm not an expert in that analytics space. That's not my my sweet spot by by any stretch. I'm the process guy rather than the analytics guy. But I, or even with my my basic understanding, it's it's very strong in that area. It's very good, I think, at being able to kind of model um, the kind of potential business impact of um, of different scenarios as well. It's very good at that kind of. High, high in the sky thinking to a certain degree interpretation saying okay if this if if this then this then what's the output going to be so looking at different models and scenarios it's very good at and it's also i think very good at translating 
insights that are drawn from any analysis or, or data, etc., into actual kind of recommendations, actually hard measures yeah. in terms of saying, why don't you try these things based on these insights? Because you've, you've got obviously different spaces in your world. I mean, you've got the data analysis, then you've got the insights you draw from it, and then you've got the, okay, what do you do with that? Yeah. I think AI is pretty good at doing that whole journey. I love that bit about the, the you know, we, we have this conversation all the time, so what? right this is mm. this is the data this is the insight so what what are we going to do and that's where some of this power is isn't it um absolutely because some people's brains just go a bit frozen at that point don't they you've told me this you've given me this insight i now don't know what to do with it and yeah. that's what ai can be brilliant at prompting or you've and giving given me ideas. too much data right so now mm. i'm really do- i, I kind of had a vague idea and now you can be all this stuff now i really haven't got a clue and it's paralysis yeah. yeah yeah really interesting um toby you you would um talking about population graphs previously. Do you want to speak to that? Yes, I've got two questions. Though. I will ask that one as well. But um, what you were just saying there, Alan, maybe think one of the things that strikes me is generative AI, chat GPT, well, I use the terms interchangeably, but that sort of stuff. Um, it found, sounds and feels like to me that it's quite a leveler in the sense of in years gone by, to do really cool whiz-bang tech stuff, you might have had to have been a really massive organization with a massive tech stack or a massive engineering team or really deep pockets to go to these consulting firms. Whereas now it feels like this stuff's so much cheaper and so much more affordable and so much faster and light lift. Do You can do a lot of really good, fast stuff, no matter what the size of the organization. And in actual fact, the smaller companies, the medium-sized companies, may well have an advantage over the larger companies because they don't have as much heavy infrastructure getting in the way, as much red tape getting in the way, as many legal teams getting in the way, et cetera, et cetera. It, it feels like there could be a real reckoning there. I agree, yeah. I think absolutely. My only concern is that um, you know, to do the really, really, really smart stuff, you still need to understand this technology and you still need to understand AI, et cetera. And my concern, back to your point, right at the very beginning and when we were talking about the news about the likes of NVIDIA and McKinsey and Apple and Meta snapping up all of this AI talent, is that it all gets sucked up by the boys who can pay the biggest money and those all smaller organisations are scrabbling around for the best of the rest, so to speak. So that worries me a little bit, but generally the bar has been lowered massively. Absolutely, yeah. even you know some of the stuff that I've been able to do in, in experimenting, I've blown my own mind. It's just insane, and that's without bringing in the the experts we have in our kind of wider team and our wider network to do the really really supercharged stuff. Just the stuff me and you could do if we were sat down for an hour or half a day with Chat GPT is just bonkers. Well, I, I I don't really do anything. I, I pose a problem and then just throw it at you and just I was annoy say you. All the stuff you send me on WhatsApp, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I need to, do my, that. to the point that um, <laughs> Alison was making, um, we're often talking on the TI front a lot of them out, around the collapsing population graphs and with the fact we're seeing the aging population and the smaller mm. demographics for working population, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think AI is going to be a counterpoint to that? Is it going to help support and sustain? Um, the the developed world uh, as a uh, yeah as those those populations collapse a little bit um, and it's another solution as well as you know we need to increase uh, immigration rates and everything else but do you think it's going to be a counterpoint to that? You think you can only think it's going to help, can't you? Um, to in a way, um, if it's going to be picking, I guess the risk is that it replaces a ton of the kind of lower level what you might call lower level white-collar jobs that 
the vast majority of people in the UK do, for example, um, and it replaces those and suddenly frees up those people to enter the labour market to do some of those other jobs that need doing that we can't fill. The risk is that they go, well, I don't want to do those other jobs because they're not very nice. I don't want to be a carer. Um, I don't want to work um, in hospitality or, or retail or whatever it might be. And that might be where the gap is. But in theory, it creates a it creates a pool of digital labour, doesn't it? Of digital workers. Um, how we apply them, who knows? I guess the next natural step is robots. In in addition to generative AI, and uh, and then that could definitely fill the kind of labour market gap. Was, I think the knock-on effect of that, you've got a question, is um, where the money goes in the sense of, you know, mm. last few years you've seen knowledge working being the, the, the place to, to earn a decent decent crack, et cetera. More recently, you've seen a lot of the trades jumping up in price and, and that being the, the direction. Like, if AI is taking the efficiency of that knowledge worker population and saying, well, actually, we can automate a lot of this, does that become a, a minimum wage junior role is software engineering in the future a, a relatively junior role versus um something that's more practical and hands-on that you you can't automate i guess well yeah we had the conversation a couple of days ago didn't we Toby? We and we no, you were on it as well Alison. we were mm. talking about if you don't have junior software developers where do your software engineers come from where do your yeah. solution architects come from where does your cto come from because you've not got that kind of entry-level role anymore? Or does a software engineer become the entry-level role so it's less of a problem? It's just that I don't know, the entry-level moves up a bit, moves up a yeah. notch. As you were talking, though, and saying, yeah, maybe that, that all gets replaced by robots, you're kind of like, well, something still needs to manage the robots, and how does it learn how to manage the robots if it hasn't been a robot? Or is it, have we then got robots managing? Yeah, Super robot. Like, ah! Super robot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Queen, Queen, Queen Bot 5000 <laughs> will be in charge of the world. <laughs> so... On that note, let me take you to the next question. So where do you see generative AI going in the next five to ten years, and will it live up to the hype? Um, the, the hype's always kind of overblown, obviously, but um, I, I think we're absolutely just at the beginning. I think with more, more training data, uh, that's going to be only going to improve AI. Um, I think advances in how it learns, um, Generative AI is just going to exponentially become more capable. Um, we'll, I think, we'll have. We're already at the point of being able to have AI assistance for all of us, without a doubt. Um, but I think in the future, as they're able to interact more with the with the real world, the physical world, etc., or even the digital world externally to us, um, then the power of those is going to go go through the roof. Um, eventually, if we've got systems that can not just use language and the kind of written word, but they can actually use vision and robotics and other integrated intelligence, et cetera, it, things could go crazy. I think we're also going to see um, what I refer to as, what well, commonly referred to as, it's not just my term by any stretch, kind of multi-agent architectures. So where you've got groups of AI agents that coordinate and share information and, in fact, talk to each other and engage with each other to accomplish way more complex goals. So, yeah, within a decade, I think generative AI is going to absolutely transform how we work, how we live, how we think about ideas, how we innovate, etc. Um, this, this is... Um, whether I quite believe this or not, but it's something that's been running through my head and I've heard other people say it. I think we're we're possibly witnessing something that's kind of um, 
akin to when electricity came out or even the internet to a certain degree in terms of its um, kind of historic significance. I think it's huge. Oh, that's so cool. Um, multi-agent AI system. I'm not sure that sounds like <laughs> I don't think that sounds very trustworthy, if I'm completely honest. No, about. no. Okay. Um, you've, you've kind of given us a, a little bit of the idiot's guide. So this is lots yeah. of different systems talking to each other. We're, just, we're calling them agents to scare the hell out of me. Yeah, yeah. Um, how, how, what does that mean in terms of a company starting to use it? So if I, you know, we've taught this week about Otter and Claude. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Helping to write meeting notes and summarise actions. What, mm. what does that mean on a bigger scale for companies? Okay, so just in a nutshell, um, yes. what a multi-agent AI is. So it's systems with many diverse autonomous agents that can interact re- with each other and the wider environment or wider tooling, et cetera, that might exist in an organisation. So it lets you do that way more complicated coordination and and um, really smart, intelligent stuff with people. Um, one example might be in kind of for, for workforce planning, for example, you could have a one set of agents that's continue that are continuously scanning kind of external labor market data, economic projections, competitive moves, etc., to potentially predict hiring needs. Yep. Then you might have another set of agents that are modeling the internal workforce supply, looking at skills, project demands, attrition rates, and so on and so forth. And by sharing insights between those two agents or those groups of agents, um, just the output of those two coming together, which could then be literally a third agent that's almost pulling all that information together, could pull together really smart data-driven hiring recommendations. So that's, so that's one example. So when I talk about the power of this stuff is when internal and external data comes together, mm. it's just that we're relying on AI to enable that to happen. To a certain degree, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, but then if you clip some other things in, like you might have an agent doing sourcing for you, um, another from job boards, another one doing social networks, another one managing your referral programs, but constantly updating the kind of master agent on how they're progressing, um, and coordinating between each other based on those hiring priorities we talked about earlier, working as a team. Um, I guess really what they're doing is replacing the humans that used to do those things. But yeah. instead of a whole team of humans doing sourcing, you've probably got one AI agent doing it. Um, it's, yeah, How it's quite, feasible is it? Can you do it now? Very feasible. Yeah, absolutely. You can. This is wow. doable. This is already doable. Um, there's even a relative layman can do basic versions of it. I talked about a basic version earlier about the um, writing content and engagement emails, et cetera, to go out to canvas and having another agent that sits there in between reviewing them and assessing them and pushing them back if he doesn't like the look of them based on it acting as the persona of the candidate. It's a very similar concept to that, but on a much more, much larger scale and a more complicated scale. Um, that that model is using chat two versions of ChatGPT, in essence, with different personas to do it. But within this space, you could have a variety of different um, generative AIs, large language models and other AIs clipped together that are all playing on their strengths. So if one of them materializes being really, really good at the data analytics piece, that could power those elements whereas another's really good at the engagement bit and creative writing. It could power another. Another might be better at doing the decision-making, so that could do that. But then clipping them together to to talk to each other, in essence, is the, is the easier bit to a certain degree. It's training the individual agents to become brilliant at what they do that is the harder bit. Yeah, okay. So without a doubt, we're going to see TA, people analytics, TI need fewer 
bums on seats and we're going to see them have to become more consultative. I think so. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, I don't think I, I think we are at the point now where we shouldn't be that too many people when they talk about have been talking about AI have have been been using what I think is absolute BS and yeah. I'm not quite swearing on the podcast but we'll get close to it. Um and saying that AI is going to create create more jobs. I yeah. I I don't think there will be more employment opportunities for people. I think there'll be different jobs. Yeah, but there'll be. I think there will be less work to do. I can't see any other way around it. I don't want to be doom and gloom about this stuff, but I hope the positive of that is that you know universal basic income quickly accelerates, and suddenly we all only have to work a twenty-hour week instead of a forty-hour week. Yeah, and so I mean, that's, our lives are richer. That's exactly the point, isn't it? Is, is there's an opportunity for us to make our lives richer, and that uh, that should be our focus rather than than oh my god, it's all doom and gloom. I, yeah. I, um, so without a doubt, that was my last question. So I'm going to make us wrap up. But but I think that what we have learned in, in the last hour is that, my God, if you're in the world of talent acquisition, if you're in the world of talent attraction, if you're in the world of TI or people analytics, and you're in an organization that wants to be innovative, then there is no better company to talk to than Ada right now. Um, and, and to have some down-to-earth practical advice on art of the possible. Um, so, Alan, a massive thank you. I have no idea how to wrap the show up, so you'll have to revert back. <laughs> I don't know how to do that whole thing at the end that you do, so you'll have to I do think that I have to thank myself and ask myself how I what I thought of the show. Oh, Did yeah, I sorry. enjoy it? How was it? How was it being how a guest? I was um, I was terrified when we started it off, but actually my brain kicked into gear and I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you very oh. much for making that making that uh, a process and uh, an experience that I did enjoy. I loved it. Oh, I like nice. talking about the subject matter. My uh, my worry with anything is that there's sometimes a disconnect between the, my brain and my mouth. But for some reason, they managed to connect properly today, so I'm happy. You absolutely did. You're a star. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much. And thank you to all our listeners, as always, for listening in. I think somebody else should do the closing line today. I don't know what it is. Toby? Oh, oh no, I do. Something about staying intelligent. Don't forget to stay intelligent. There you That's go. That's it, nearly. It's stay intelligent, folks, but you did uh. pretty well. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Before you go, I wanted for the last time to remind you about our generous sponsor, Stratagens. Here's that posh chap again, telling you about their fabulous product. Strategens gives HR leaders the data they need to transform businesses with the speed and ease required in today's world. If you're ready to make decisions that aren't lengthy, costly, one-dimensional or based on gut feeling, visit strategens.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-I-G-E-N-S dot com to register for a Wednesday demo drop-in and find out more.